when we select leaders. What we have found is leaders may have great innovative ideas. They may be very driven to achieve, but if they're not inspiring people, if they're not demonstrating those interpersonal qualities that people see them as servant leaders, we've noticed that people are not willing to follow them. So we really emphasize that this is exactly the qualities that we want to see in leaders. Don't conduct your analysis in isolation because data is so incredibly powerful. Not defending just the tribe, but defending the organization. Those creative people that you really want to keep empowered, keep excited, keep motivated, keep thinking. A good experience pays dividends down the line. Stereotypes tend to break down in proximity. Welcome to We're Only Human, a podcast about human resources, business, technology, and the workplace. My name is Ben Eubanks, your host, and I'm so glad you're here. Hello and welcome to We're Only Human. I am Ben Eubanks, your host, and I'm really glad that you're here with us today. So we're going to dive into the conversation around how to select leaders. And you've already gotten some insights already from Ji Yun, our guest today from over at the Mayo Clinic. She is responsible for leadership selection at the Mayo Clinic. And so we're going to hear some incredible insights from her on this, what impact leaders have, what they look for, because it's a great masterclass, honestly, on how we can all think more carefully about this, think more holistically about picking our leaders and not do it as many companies do, unfortunately, with little thought, with little preparation, with little rigor and discipline. We're going to really dive into some of these great things. I really appreciate the team over at SHL for connecting us to Jiyun uh, here and looking forward to, to diving into this. One of the things that I'll tell you is we all generally know the idea that leaders are important, right? They matter to someone's satisfaction on the job. They matter whether someone likes their work or not. But we just finished some new research that really draws this in and makes this very clear. For example, if a worker says, if an you know, average employee says that their well-being, their health has improved, they are two and a half times more likely to say that they have consistent support from their manager at work when you compare them against someone who has uh, not had an improvement in their health and well-being or their health and well-being has actually worsened over the last year, they're less likely to say their manager really supports and pays close attention to them. Other things that we see in this, if someone says that their leader really supports them, they're much more likely to stick around. The data show that if someone does not feel consistently supported by their manager, they're four times more likely to leave than those who do feel supported. And when we dive a layer deeper and try to figure out, okay, what does that what does that look like? How do we actually indicate what this what this support looks like? What we found was pretty incredible. Listen to this: if someone says their manager understands them, there's a less than one percent chance of them saying that they do not feel supported by that manager. But if they say that manager doesn't really understand them, doesn't understand what they need to be successful at work, doesn't understand what they need to be successful in their job. There's a 6,000% increase in someone saying they don't feel supported, and it all comes down to whether that manager understands them, pays attention to them, and really shows that person that they actually do care. It impacts all of these things, and it all hinges on that relationship. So we're going to hear from Ji Yun here after a word from our sponsor. Today's episode is supported by Workplace for Meta. You know, everybody's talking about the metaverse these days, right? But Workplace for Meta is different. The clue is in the name. Workplace is a business communication tool. It uses features like instant messaging, video calls to help people share information on a day-to-day -day basis. 
think Facebook, but for your company. It's part of Meta's vision for the future of work, a future in which your job isn't just something you do, but something that you truly experience, a future in which we'll feel more present, all together, connected, and productive. Start your journey into the future of work at workplace.com slash future. That's workplace.com slash future. And now, let's jump into the conversation for today's episode. Hey everyone, welcome to We Are Only Human. I am so glad you're here with us, and I hope you're looking forward to another great conversation, because I know I am. We're going to be diving into some things like, how do we pick the right leaders? How do we know who has the best capabilities or the best fit for the organization from a values perspective? And we're going to talk about all those kinds of things and more with our guests today. And what excites me is the unfortunate thing is many organizations don't have very much discipline around how they select the leaders that they have. And we're going to hear today from, a, from an organization that's doing that pretty darn well. And so all of us have a place where we can start from, some ideas we can get from this conversation. So be ready to take some notes because I know I'll be taking some copious ones on my end. So our guest is here, and I'm so excited to have Ji Yun here with us. She's going to dive into some of these things and how she does them over at Mayo Clinic. So welcome. Glad to have you. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. So before we get into some of these fun things I was laying out there for the audience, would you take just a minute and let us know more about who you are and what you do, please? So my title is a senior advisor for leader assessment and development. Um, I am an executive coach. I teach leadership courses. I do leadership assessment work. I provide in-depth feedback. Most recently, I have been involved in validating and developing assessment to assess values alignment for those new hires, especially external hires into Mayo. I want to start, we'll start with probably that last one there. We talk about the values alignment piece, because I know that especially when we're bringing someone in from outside the business, that's always a concern that I have. And sometimes it's really hard because that can be difficult to ascertain. Do we know that this person, they seem to check all the right boxes from a competency perspective. They seem to understand that the priorities or they've solved these challenges at a prior job. So we're thinking, okay, they, they seem like the great fit. And sometimes that fails miserably. And it comes down in some cases that values piece. So would you talk about that component and how that works at Mayo? Yeah, I completely agree that we hire people based on their past performance in other organizations. And when they come into our organization, many times their career derails, not because of their technical skills. We have one of the most most highly qualified physicians in the world working at Mayo Clinic. It is not their clinical skills, but more of how they are aligned with Mayo Clinic values. And that's what we assess. Mayo has been around for over 150 years, and we have been at the top of the industry for at least that long. And Mayo has has an incredible reputation for its patient-centeredness and how we provide care, how we respect and value not only our patients, but our colleagues, how we work in teams, how we collaborate, how we seek innovation, how we seek excellence in our work. And all of those are very important laid out values at Mayo that we hold people accountable to. And we actually have our performance tools built based on those values as well. I'm thinking about every organization I've ever worked for and all of them had their own unique kind of stamp, their DNA for what it looks like to work here. This is what excellence looks like here. Are there, is there a specific set of 
of values at Mayo that you're trying to see, okay, how well do we line these things up so that we know that they're checking those right things? You talked about some of them in broader terms, like patient centricity and things like that, but are there right. a handful of core or key values that, that you're specifically vetting them against? Yes, we have primary values, okay. which is the needs of the patient come first. So that is our primary value. And then underneath it, we have eight values. We call them rich ties. And that's an acronym. So R is respect. I is integrity. C is compassion. H is healing. And then T, teamwork. Another I, innovation. E, excellence. And S, stewardship. Excellent. I'm hoping some of the people listening into this are taking some notes out there on, on what those mean because mm-hmm. we. Again, I laid it out at the very beginning today, but we often pick people from our leadership roles based on if they're internal, it's, oh, you've been here long enough. So we'll go ahead and slot you into that, which you and I both know is a terrible indicator for whether they'd be a, a truly great leader or not. Or from the outside, we look for success in another company in a similar type of role. And we think that's going to just map over easily. And that doesn't always, yeah. it's not always the case. If their focus is different or something's different about that transition there. Talk about how, how you've seen companies if you've seen companies transition from that mindset of, okay, this person's been here long enough. Let's go ahead and think about putting them in leadership role versus the people who have those competencies or those abilities, or we're looking at them because they are just indicating some of those leadership behaviors, even though they're not in a leadership title yet. You talk about the difference in those things a little bit and what's being successful when someone starts doing that, what that looks like. First of all, we have a very specific process of succession work and how we select leaders. We have a very important criteria. We have our leadership model that is inspiring values, engaging colleagues, bold and forward thinking, driving results. And we do consider the inspiring values capability to be most important. So when we use those data, so we assess to those four capabilities. And when we have those scores, we weigh inspiring values most heavily when we select leaders. What we have found is leaders may have great innovative ideas. They may be very driven to achieve, but if they're not inspiring people, if they're not demonstrating those interpersonal qualities that people see them as servant leaders, we've noticed that people are not willing to follow them. So we really emphasize that this is exactly the qualities that we want to see in leaders. And so we have our professional, our program in values and professionalism leaders that are very active in reaching out to business units, reaching out to do these new hires and really educating them on specifically on our values and how they are demonstrated in day-to-day work. Also, we have a very special onboarding program for our, especially for our external hires. So this is in addition to our generic orientation that we do for all new hires. So these are for, especially for external hires above certain level. And we match them with a onboarding partner who can mentor them in how to navigate Mayo culture because it is very unique. And we hear again and again, that people coming in from outside say Mayo is very different. How you lead at Mayo is very different. And so it is a learning curve for them. They can't just assume what they did in their previous organizations will somehow work at Mayo. Yeah. 
that's not always a, an easy transition over, especially when you say suddenly you're no longer accountable just for these clinical outcomes, but also for these people outcomes as well. And for exactly. some people stepping into a role, that's the first time they've ever been someone's ever actually told them that number one, but then number two, held them accountable for those kinds of things. That's a different yeah. transition entirely. Exactly. You talked about the onboarding piece there. I was going to ask you a question and that this actually, it's funny you were reading that already is sure. you mentioned earlier that you do some executive coaching as part of your role. Yeah. And I'm curious when you are working with leaders, is that, is any sort of coaching you're doing different for someone who's newly stepping into a role versus someone who's more established? Are those different conversations? Are those like the frequency, like the topic X comes up every time almost when they're new versus when they've been established, we usually talk about topic Y. I'm curious how that looks for you. Yeah. Yes. Mostly. Yes. So (laughs) those, so we call, we have a specific name for coaching newly either hired from externally or those people who are new to their role, we call it transition coaching. So there are some coaching topics that come up more commonly in transition coaching. And that is those leaders are, because they're new, they have to set up their strategies. And then, so there's that strategic planning piece. There's that relationship building piece that is mostly important. So setting expectations, how do you let the people that you lead know who you are as a leader and what your leadership expectations are, what your leadership approach and styles are. So those kind of conversations are very important. There are some really crucial things that you need to set up within 30 days, 60 days, 90 days into your role. There are specific conversations that you would have as an executive coach for these new leaders. If you're coming from outside, Definitely, there will be conversations about the culture, about how to influence. One thing about our Mayos, at least on the clinical leadership side, we're all salaried. So we don't don't have superstars who gets enormous amount of salary compared to other people. There are some other, there are other organizations that do that. If you are a surgeon who can only do what three people in the nation can do, then you will be compensated for your skills. Mayo doesn't do that. It is really about the team. It is we, instead of competing against your peers, we really have all individual um, staff represent Mayo as a whole when you go outside. So if you do want to be treated like a superstar at Mayo, you will struggle because that is not our value. And so that, or if you really want to like, for example, let's say if you're task oriented or achievement oriented, that you're not taking in consideration people who are doing the work, because as a leader, you're less close to the task itself. You have people between you and the task and you're having people do the work. Mm -hmm. So your focus really should be about people how to empower them, how to motivate them, how you can support and help them so that they can do their best. That's really the gist of our leadership expectation. We'll be right back to We're Only Human in just a moment. Workplace is a business communication tool for Meta. Think Facebook, but for your company. It's part of Meta's vision for the future of work, a future in which we all feel more present, connected, and productive every day. Start your journey into the future of work at workplace.com slash future. That's workplace.com slash future. And now back to our conversation. I was talking to a friend this week about a book that I love, and I don't want to assume you're a book reader, but usually people who do your work love to read and love to understand more about what's working, things like that. One of my favorite stories that I've read in the last couple of years was a, was a book called Turn the Ship Around about a naval captain who 
was about to retire and he got he was thinking for my last assignment they're going to give me the choice pick of the fleet and instead they put him in charge of the worst performing submarine in the entire naval fleet so what did i do to deserve this who's got it out for me but the first thing he realized walking around and meeting his crew is the previous leader judged their success based on how little they could get done in his absence they must mm -hmm. need me a lot because i'm a great leader and they need me to be around and so he immediately started shifting that. And like you said, empowering them, holding them accountable, giving them the tools they needed and the responsibility in addition to the accountability, not just accountability without the other things to make that possible. And he said in the coming year, that trans transformed them goodness, from mm -hmm. the worst performing to the best performing ship in the fleet. And it came down to that leadership style of I'm, if you can't are failing without me being around, that's because I haven't given you enough tools, enough runway to be able to do that. But he started judging his own success based on how much they could get done whenever he was not physically in their presence or around to actually answer their questions. Mm -hmm. So I love that piece of it because that's one of those common mistakes that leaders make is they need me a lot. I'm really in demand. No, let's give them what they need so they can work without you standing over their shoulder. They can get a lot more things done. You're hiring great people, hopefully get out of their way to the degree yeah. you can enable them. That's what I was thinking of as you're sharing some of those words and approaches a little bit ago is that story comes back to me as a great example of what it truly means to be a leader versus someone who's just managing a bunch of tasks. Exactly. Yes. Okay. So one of the things that we, you've, you've given a lot of examples of things that are working, things that you and the team are doing. And for people who are listening into this, many of them don't have a team as large and as dedicated and as focused as the work that you get to do. And so I'd love for you to give some encouragement or some ideas or suggestions based on what you've seen be successful with selecting leaders, with developing them. It could be as simple as don't give them the keys and just walk away in that first 30, 60, 90 days, as you were saying a minute ago. What recommendations do you make for other companies, other organizations mm -hmm. that want to have high quality leaders, they want to select them, but also really enable them as we're talking about here to mm -hmm. be the best leader they can be? Of course, I always say the, bet, the most important work starts with selection. You really need to look into your selection process and see if that's working for you. Is your process really selecting the right leaders? One thing that I want to mention is what was considered great leaders five or 10 years ago may no longer hold. The expectations and the competencies needed in leaders is constantly changing. So it was different in the industrial age from, inform from knowledge age to information age, and now we are in a digital age. So be very clear about what you're looking for in leaders and hire to those competencies. Now also, even if you hire because they're currently performing well, doesn't mean that they're going to perform well five years, 10 years down the road. So these leaders have to be very flexible, have to learn fast, they have to quickly adapt. How, what are their competencies in adapting to a fast changing environment? So they're learning agility, hugely important. Now, once they're on board, a lot of leadership characteristics and skills are something that you can develop. So don't leave them like in a sink or swim mode, you really need to support the leaders. If leaders are not set up for success, leadership in this day and age is enormously difficult. It's much more difficult than it used to be because of the complexity that these leaders are faced with. So organizational support is hugely important. So mentoring, 
very important. Get leaders together in a round table or something and have them learn from each other. So I know many of the smaller organizations may not have the resources that larger organizations have in terms of leadership development. If you could just get the leaders in a room and have a facilitated conversation, that can really, our leaders are learning a lot from that kind of informal round table kind of environment. Yes. Also, I do think if you do have some resources, coaching would be a very important way to develop leaders in an intimate setting where confidential is upheld, um, where leaders can come in and be really honest and open about their challenges. The coaching conversation is not something that they have to prove themselves. It is where they can be absolutely vulnerable and be very honest, brutally honest about a lot of things. Leaders, leadership skill is definitely learnable, developable. It really, I can't emphasize this more, that organizations need to support leaders for them to be successful. It's hard. It's like this paradox where we pick someone because we think they're capable enough to do the job. And then we assume they're capable enough to know all the things that they didn't know when they stepped into that job. And they're missing. They don't know this thing, especially coming from outside. They don't know some of those culture pieces, or this is how we do things here. I know this is the process, but here we do it kind of this way because there's this outwork with our system, our tools, our our legacy processes, whatever else. We make the assumptions, we're picking them, and then we're missing a chance there. And so that sink or swim thing is definitely a big fail, big challenge for most companies, I would say. Um, One of the things I want to ask you is you talked about I'm looking back on my notes here. One of the things that you talked about was once these leaders are on board, they have these different things we can start developing in them to help hone those skills, to build those muscles, right? To make them ready to be not just not just a good leader, but a great leader. And I'm curious for you specifically, because you talked about a couple of different layers of support you have built around them. There's that mentor you're pairing them with when they're starting out. There's you and anyone else doing any coaching. There's probably a direct leader they're reporting up to who should be giving them some support as well. How do those things fit together so they know where to go? Or is it based on the conversation topics? Is it a thing? Oh, great question. I'm going to ask my coach because that's quiet between us, or this is more of a career focused thing. So I'm going to ask my mentor about that. How does someone navigate that as they're stepping mm-hmm. into a new role? Yeah. So that's a very good question. The very first experience of learning about culture would be in their orientation and onboarding. Okay. During onboarding process, we would pair them up with a, like an onboarding partner. And that would last for a very short period of time while they're, they onboard. In their onboarding process, we very much encourage their supervisor to be involved. So the supervisor knows that this person is going through this process, who their onboarding partners are. So onboarding partners can be someone who's completely outside of their department, but it has to be someone who's versed in our male culture, who's able to mentor. And then the supervisor can guide them to an ongoing mentor. And then sometimes a supervisor, or we have an HR person assigned to every department or work area, and the HR person can connect that person with a coach. So it's really having the multiple years resources. We sometimes have individuals reach out to HR and say, I am new and I really need help navigating male culture. And we'll find some ways to help them and support them. 
Okay, excellent. I'm thinking in my head, it's not too much. I'm thinking like how they navigate these things, but it's a good problem to have to say, oh, for that kind of question, this person's going to be your best bet, yeah. or this resource over here. But again, you're on the opposite of the spectrum for many companies that are saying we're doing little to nothing or we're doing something that's, right. All right, we want to tell about it publicly because it's not a good practice. And so I'm just thinking about all those interesting nuances there that, that fit in and around those pieces of it. Yeah. So for you personally, you, at the beginning in your little intro, you mentioned this list of things that you get to do. And for the audience, you can't see her face right now, but she smiles so big when she talks about her work because I can tell that you enjoy it so much. What part of the work that you get to do is most exciting or invigorating for you? Oh, <laughs> so I love working with our physician leaders. Okay. They are so intelligent. They are eager to learn. They really want to be better. It is very clear that they want to be the best they can be. When you have a leader who, who is hungry to be better and to develop themselves, that just gets the job done. And I can be there giving them really difficult feedback based on assessments. I, I enjoy more of that intimate one-on-one -on -one interaction than actually teaching a large group of people, because I, I personally enjoy going really deeper into the conversation, talking about their, their emotion, their assumptions, their failures and learnings, their fears. So that's such a fulfilling moment when you get to meet with those people at a deeper level, and you get to see a side of them that not many people can see. And these are all very competent, very highly accomplished people who are, who are also willing to be vulnerable with you. They may come to coaching for multiple different reasons because they're high potential who are getting coaching for next level leadership role, or sometimes not that often, but occasionally we do get requests for coaching because of people's performance issues and their behavior, their lack of communication skills, regardless of how they come to coaching. Once you get to know them, you know them as a coach, it's you get to build this relationship. And I have to tell them, how can other people see in you what I see as your coach? And it is a huge honor and privilege to do that. That is so much fun. Goodness. I can only imagine working with these world-class leaders, right? And getting a chance to sit front row seat, yeah. seeing them succeed and enabling them to, to serve more people, to take care of more people. That's just an incredible place to be. Wow. Yep. It is a very humbling experience. That is so wonderful. All right. So I have asked a ton of questions here and I know I've taken so many good notes. This has been so incredible and I appreciate you being willing to share. You're an open book on all the things that, that you and the team are doing there. Yeah. If someone wants to connect with you or wants to learn more about the work that the team are doing at Mayo Clinic, what's the best way to do that? email me so I can definitely share my emails. I don't mind my inbox exploding with, <laughs> with questions. So I can be reached at kang.jiyun at mayo.edu. All right, perfect. I'll make sure and get that in the show notes. So if anyone okay. wants to reach out and say hello, tell you how much they enjoyed the conversation here or ask a question about your thoughts on their what's working, things like that, then I'm sure they'll take you up on that. Goodness, this has been that. so much fun. This has been so Thank much fun. You. I appreciate you for being willing to share. Appreciate your heart for this, really. Mm -hmm. Being willing to serve and support other people. You're talking about servant leadership and all this in an, an abstract sense about how you're enabling this for others, but it takes someone 
that does that well to be able to do it from what you're from your position. So thank you for that as well. Thank you so much for having me. To everyone else out there, I hope you enjoyed the conversation today. Got some good notes, some good takeaways. Be sure to check out the show notes for a link to connect over. And if you want anything else, they're also in the notes as well. We'll have some good information details on the episode. Thank you all for joining us on We're Only Human, and we will catch you next time. Thank you so much for joining me on the show today. I'm honored to have you as a listener. If you enjoyed this episode, please take 10 seconds to rate it at iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your podcast. Also, if you know a friend that could benefit from today's conversation, please pass it their way. After all, a rising tide lifts all ships. To see show notes, sponsor information, and our full show archives, visit OnlyHumanShow.com.